0: Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly podcast about life, death, and rebirth, hosted by me, Lindsay Mack. Welcome. So lovely, as always, to connect with everyone here on a weekly basis. Um, I'm going to come in hot. Well, first of all, this is an Ask Lindsay episode, an episode where you send me your questions and I, I offer you my answers. Um so we'll get to that. I have a couple of, um, a couple things to share about the energetic weather right now, as well as some enormous announcements. So please don't skip, stay tuned because you'll want to hear it. I promise you. Um, but I am going to come in hot, uh, and just say that we are in an in-between time with these two eclipses and it is a total nut slapper. And I hope that everyone listening to this is taking care of themselves. Um, We are working with expansion, ascension, upgrade energy. And what that often can feel like, although it doesn't have to feel like this, is getting triggered, having old traumas surface, having physical, emotional, psychological pain, um, and specifically around that arena, headaches, nausea, stomach aches, body pain, um, really intense dreams, usually sleep being disturbed. Um, What is a very telltale sign that you're going through kind of upgrade hangover right now is if you are working through something that you were so sure that you had completed or you can't believe you're still working on. If it kind of feels like something, quote, came back or you're still working on something that you thought you'd be finished with like that, you're, you're in it. Um, the space between two eclipses, the function of an eclipse is to promote really rapid growth and expansion in a really short amount of time. Um, eclipses also bring everything up to the surface. So this is... Um, A time to really be soft, a time to really be kind with yourselves, a time when it might even seem like annoying, the level of self-care you might have to employ with yourself. Um, if that's the case, I have nothing but compassion and, um, but please do, um, just stay hydrated, nourished. Um, yeah, it took me a minute to kind of like remember Um, and also, um, all the aspects and, uh, with Pluto and it's, it's a big, it's just a really big upgrade time. So if you're feeling it, you're so not alone. There are a lot of us feeling it right now. Everybody's feeling it from a little bit of a different perspective. So just be really gentle with yourself during this time before our next eclipse, which I believe is the 20th of January. apologies if, um, I got that date wrong, but yeah, big space, um, really a space to clear out stuff that's not meant to go forward with us in the rest of our year. And so in order to do that, we have to, it's like, things are getting dredged up that are so intense, but it's not because we did anything wrong. It's just simply the illumination of what hasn't served for a long time. And now we're finally just seeing it. Um, And speaking of apologies, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Um, I did not even realize I did this, but it came to my attention that I uh, mentioned on the monthly medicine episode that the threshold which is now closed for the year and it'll open next December for 2020, that I mentioned that it was $22, um, instead of the $33 price that it was and everything was fine, but I just really want to apologize. Sometimes I do get numbers mixed up and do make like Mr. Magoo style mistakes like that. So, um, I promised it was never meant to be $22. It was always 33. Um, but I'm, I really apologize because obviously I want to, speak with honesty and integrity. And it really wasn't that, uh, I priced it and then changed it. It was really that I'm a dummy and I just said the wrong number. So I just wanted to like name that if anyone was like, Hey, I thought the price was 22. It was just my goof, my goof, literally just a mistake. Um, so I'm sorry about that. Um, two really quick, uh, and one quick announcement and another, a gigantor announcement. And then I'm going to get, Right to your questions. Um, Enrollment for Trauma and the Tarot is going to be opening on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, January 15th, I believe. Um, Hopefully, my dates are right. (laughs) Now I'm paranoid about my numbers. Um, This offering, Trauma and the Tarot, is based on the podcast episode. Called titled the same name that was and that podcast episode was based on a class that I taught um at New Women's Space in Brooklyn and at Other Wild in Los Angeles. Um and before that it was titled uh another um healing, it was called, I think, healing the wild soul, and it taught it a couple of times at Maharose. Anyway, all that to say that I'm very, very proud of this. It's um an online offering, everything's pre-recorded. It's three hours of lesson material. <clears throat> um, it is completely um, self-guided, which means that you can purchase trauma in the tarot. You get to keep it for life. Um, you get to go through all aspects. There's no live portions. There's a big two-hour and 15-minute deep dive into How to utilize tarot as an anchor around processing and healing trauma in our relational aspects of healing trauma. Um, And then there's another kind of like 35 minute um, additional course to kind of um, offer some supplementary material on the tarot as it pertains to trauma. And it's pretty interesting. I've never taught about, uh, that concept before, and I'm excited to share it. And of course the offering comes with a PDF that contains, um, spreads, concepts, exercises, um, uh, all, all, manner of things. Uh, and I'm really hoping that everybody loves it because it's, um, so much content for the value. Um, and I'm very proud to announce that trauma in the tarot is, uh, $44 and that that is, uh, it is definitely $44. Um, there will be a payment plan. There will be scholarships at need scholarships for people who need it. There will be sponsorships. So if you'd like to gift trauma in the tarot, or you're feeling blessed with abundance and you'd like to offer some money for at need folks to be able to, um, have it, it's there for you. And, um, that will, that will be there. And a portion of the tuition that we receive for trauma and tarot are going to some really great, um, charitable organizations, which is going to be a continual thing from now on for, um, terror for the wild soul, uh, to give back in that more official way. I've always donated, but now, um, it's been really great to be able to pick places that were officially on paper donating to which is awesome. Uh so that opens on Tuesday. I'm really excited. It's like um a huge uh of course there's like a little bit of crossover with the subject matter in the podcast because the podcast is based on a class, but this class really um refines the material. It goes way deeper. It's a lot more organized and structured and um provides a lot more clarity on like how to do these things. Um and it is not a recording of the class I did of Trauma in the Tarot over the summer. It is a, a whole different thing. So I hope you like it. And here's my big announcement. <clears throat> this is a little bit early to make this announcement, but I want to start um, mentioning this because I don't want people to miss it. So I think most listeners know that every year my team and I do uh, an eight-week course called Tarot for the Wild Soul. That is a eight-week immersion um, that teaches people how to read tarot from a soul-centered perspective. Basically, how I teach it, kind of the things you hear on this tarot on this podcast. So uh, we've done it um, for two years now, and we do it in the fall. And uh, I have come up with two, one specifically, brand new course that. Uh, I puzzled over and puzzled over and was trying to get it to fit in the spring and it just didn't work. Um, it didn't want to be in the spring and it took me a little while to realize that the brand new course that will be announced way later in the year kind of wanted to be done on Halloween. So I, the long story short, um, it really became clear to me that Tarot for the Wild Soul as a course really has always wanted to be done in the spring. And so um, we are actually doing the big eight-week course again in March. And it will be in March from here on out. So we will not be doing it again in the fall. It will not be in the fall anymore. But if you missed it, this fall, uh, this past fall, and you'll get a chance to do it again. Um, and we are actually going to be opening up scholarship applications for the big course on February 1st. So if you are someone, uh, who needs or desires or would like assistance, um, we have, uh, and will have information about scholarship apps um, on February 1st that are going to go up with the course website and a fresh trailer and all kinds of different things this year. Last year we gave 22 scholarships out and this year we're doing 28. And, uh, another really exciting thing that we did last year that we're going to do again this year is like uh, with trauma and the tarot, we are going to do sponsorships. So that means that again, if you're feeling blessed with abundance, you can donate to that scholarship fund. And last year, we were able to admit many students who remained on the wait list, who for one reason or another, were not, um, initially offered a scholarship. They were able to attend based on folks's immense generosity. Uh, we were able to get decks for at need people, supplies, books, um, This year we don't have, uh, we're not doing required reading, so there won't be a book fee or anything, but, um, yeah, we're so excited and I just wanted to share it. And, uh, in one way, apologize in advance because, (laughs) um, it's like lame to promote, but I promise not to do, I promise to do the exact appropriate amount of promotion, um, but yeah, Tarot for the Wild Soul is going to be happening. The course is going to be happening in the spring from now on and is going to uh, run from March 21st, the equinox, to I believe May 9th. Might be the week after. I think it's May 9th. Whatever eight weeks is if you count back from um March 21st. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff. We have eight bonus contributors for this year. I'm actually sorry, forgive me nine bonus contributors for this year that are literally when we announce them to you, you're going to shit your pants. That's number one. Number two, there's hours of new material. Um, I recorded and created a couple of additional classes for every week, including a little um, class about expanding intuition, class, a little uh, audio supplement about the vertical lines of the major arcana, not just the horizontal ones. Um, it's good stuff. I'm telling you um, how the court cards, when all placed together, create a complete auric shield it's going to be really good. There's a lot of new information. And because it's our third go around for the course and because, uh, the course is now an Aries, which is, feels really sweet that we get to rebirth her as an Aries. Um, this is also the high priestess year of the course because it's year three. Cause the first time we did it, it was our definite fool. Last year was the magician in the fall of 2018 and spring of 2019 will be the high priestess. So, um, this is just a general announcement that we are doing it again in the spring. And because we just did it, of course, we're not going to push that hard, but just know that uh, it will be the only time to do it until the spring of 2020. Um, And for anyone uh, who is in need, wants to work, learn a little bit more about how to do tarot in this way, how to learn tarot in this way, all of the information about scholarships, syllabus, and, uh, all of the amazing kind of new things about the course are going to be up on a website page on, um, February 1st. So we're really excited to share that now that I've said that, I think that's all I wanted to say. Um, that's it. So let's go to questions. Okay. Sydney, and by the way, sorry, (laughs) I'm always doing that. Okay. So sorry, I need a sip of water. Um, if I'm not, if I didn't answer your question this time, we keep a spreadsheet. We will either do it at an, at a later episode, or you're welcome to send yours in again, or send in a different one. Just know that we absolutely do dip into older questions. Um, some of the questions that we ask, um, are more appropriate to be emailed back to people versus read out loud. So just know that if you asked and it didn't get answered, most likely it will at a later point. So on to questions. Sydney asks... What does it mean when the same card keeps appearing in multiple spreads over the course of a few days or several weeks? This happened to me a while back, and one card kept showing up no matter what question I asked. In different spots in a mind-body-spirit spread, a past-present-future spread, the Celtic cross, and even a number of single card draws. I know I'm shuffling my deck, and there doesn't seem to be anything physically different with the card bent torn, water damage, etc.—to make it more prone to being pulled For reference, my card was the Hermit. But do you have general advice for when this happens? Sydney, you got yourself a repeater on your hands. So, um, this, uh, term of, this is a repeating card and it's a very magical, lovely occurrence. It's just like what you're talking about is part of the magic, kind of the unknowable, unexplainable magic of working with the tarot. It's really exciting, really special, um, a lot of the time people call this a stalker card and I would love to um, make that expression go extinct in 2019 because people have stalkers and it's why repeating card is perfectly fine. <laughs> um, I'm not here to judge you if you use that term. We've all used it. I've used it, but it is it is harmful to some so i invite everyone to um i invite us all to move into uh repeating cards 2019 <laughs> um so sydney what that means is uh, a couple different things there's a couple different ways to interpret getting a repeating card um in all those different beautiful synchronistic ways the first is that you are in the energy of the card and you might not be aware of it. And it's inviting you through repetition to pay attention to what you're in. When we're in the hermit, it means that we're really being invited into a kind of an inward looking time, a sacred pause. Sometimes the hermit is a giant invitation into non-action as far as like making plans, booking flights. And sometimes when we pull the hermit ad nauseum, we're kind of trying to push something uh, that might not be ready to to get pushed. Um, and so it's a gentle reminder to go one step at a time. So sometimes it's that we're deeply in a spiral of a certain energetic frequency of a card and maybe we're not super aware of it. And so it's a way for that card to remind us, Hey, I am here and you are still working with me. The second way that we can uh, look at a repeating card is that it's just simply letting you know you're in class with me. And you're not missing it. So sometimes when we get repeating cards, it doesn't mean we're missing anything. It just simply means that we're in a master class with this kind of energy. And that, Sydney, and anyone else listening, that is actually how we begin to really learn the tarot in our own way with great intimacy, is when cards come up like that for us and we follow them and we honor them and we go, hey, you showed up again. I want to talk to you. Talk to me guide me, show me what it is to live a hermit centered life. What does that feel like? And then you kind of step into the feet of a card and you let it take you. So it's a really beautiful thing, but it either is a gentle reminder to you to let your life choices be supported by the presence of that card or, and, or that you're in a kind of masterclass with that card that it is working with you and helping to kind of massage its essence into your life in some way. Two different ways of saying it, one basically being to make you aware and the other is just to simply deepen. But it's a very magical thing and doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It's what happens when you're doing everything right. It's great. Enjoy it. Jessica asks, one struggle I have is when I ask the cards what needs to be released and I receive a positive card in answer. For example, this morning I received the Ace of Cups. I read reversals so there is an opportunity for the cards to let me know when the shadow side of a card is being presented. I currently interpret this to mean that I'm being called to release any blocks that are getting in the way of receiving the medicine of the card, but perhaps you have a different insight. Jessica, I think that's brilliant. Um, And I do have a different, uh, not a different insight like you're not correct because you're fucking 100% correct. That's brilliant. Um, my one addition to your brilliant knowing is to invite you to consider that, uh, because your question is one that I jumped at answering because my students ask me this all the time. And I think that this is a really, vital, important question that begs to be repeated, asked multiple times, questioned. Um, I think it's just really important. Um, The one addition that I would add to your method of interpretation, which is very strong, is to let go of the idea that there are positive cards and negative cards. Because when we move from spring to summer, that's not positive or negative. We're just simply transitioning into a different season. So when we're talking about what am I releasing right now, whenever we ask that question, I really feel that it can strengthen our practice to do two things. One is to never ask that question of our deck unless we're asking two, what is the next cycle? Because we do want to get some perspective on Not necessarily like what will be predicting the future, but some perspective on, you know, what is coming in the stead of this card. Um, And the other thing we want to kind of uh, infuse into our practice and into our readings is this idea that releasing Ace of Cups um, doesn't mean, it might mean working with the shadow side or blocks, but it could also mean that you have been in a deep mastery whether you knew it or not with learning to love yourself learning to allow love to come through for you learning to work with um uh reaching your hand up for the full cups of life and drinking of them and now it's not that you're done with it forever but you have done researched learned taken on enough that your cup is full And you're ready to move on to a different lesson with that Ace of Cups still embodied. So it's kind of like looking at it from the perspective of um, I am going to have this beautiful drink of water, but then I don't have to get rid of the drink of water I've had. It's because I've had this drink of water that now I'm available to have a cup of coffee. So we're not taking anything away. We're just adding that metaphor was horrible, but I think, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so that's, that's the way I look at it. Um, is like, if I'm letting go of a card that traditionally is termed, it's like, it's like, cause I understand what you mean. It's like, there, are you know, there truly are no negative or positive cards. They all bring medicine of some kind. But yeah, I mean if we're releasing the Empress and we're moving into like 5 of swords, uh, I get it. <laughs> you know, we're moving from um, you know, one very different season to another because there's some people who really struggle with Empress as well. Um just looking at it like, okay, I've gained, nourished myself with everything Empress had to bring and now I get to bring all that Empress energy to my work with five of swords and it's totally fine. So that's how we can start to work with quote positive cards and releasing energies. It's just, um, it's actually because we've embodied the energy to the extent that we're being asked to. And now we're kind of utilizing that to move us toward the next, uh, teachable moment with the card. That's just my two cents. Reba asks, I've just started to read for people on a professional level and I'm wondering if a contract is something I need. If so, what kinds of things should be covered in it? I understand that a client would want a guarantee of privacy, but I'm wondering if there's something that needs to be in there that protects me as the reader. Reba, that's a good call. You can have a contract. You can also have terms of service that your clients have to click on, um, which I find is a very elegant way of doing it, that if your client is booking with you, you can have a PDF document that um, or uh, like a list that in order for your clients to book through, um, they have to check that as a confirmation that they agree to abide by your terms of service. Uh, I don't think you need to sign anything that protects you as the reader unless you're reading in a state that has very strict Uh unfortunately they're called fortune telling laws, or if you're reading someplace like Salem in a store, you have to have a fortune teller's license. So that kind of legal stuff is important. Uh and actually I'm correcting myself because I'm not sure if you need to have the license, uh, but the store does. Um, that's in Salem. So every everyone's um state is really different in terms of their laws. Um, but yeah, it's a great idea. Um, to mention in terms of service or in your verbiage that all readings will be kept completely confidential, um, that you reserve the right to cancel a reading at any time, that you that your client reserves the right to walk away, um, that you don't give refunds, you do. Um, just thinking about for yourself what your boundaries are really important and also just educating yourself on the laws and um, restrictions in the district with which you practice and how you practice, I think is really important. I don't think, uh, you need a contract for your clients. I just think you can utilize, um, your boundaries in, um, a way that they can click before they book and pay. And if you're not taking your clients that way, I also recommend that too. You can use Acuity or Scheduleista. It's a great way of doing it. Um, I don't think there's anything in there that needs to protect you as the reader, Um, but I know that some people might feel very differently. Um, You can also uh, assist yourself by reminding your client that... um, part of the reading is that it is offering your client whatever empowered medicine they need to go off after you've spent your time together um, and do their thing to, to take that medicine and actually apply it into their life that you are in no way responsible for any decisions they've made. You're not giving them medical advice all that stuff you are um more than welcome to do that if if that is on your terms of service on your website though it also helps to protect you if you're looking for protection um but uh I don't it depends i would say trust yourself if you want to write up a contract sometimes it can um make people feel nervous to sign a contract and if you're okay with that then that's okay. Um, but I would also say, try to think of a way if you have some really important things that you want to just make sure are really understood between yourself and your client to just have that be presented in a way that they can click or whatever, um, or just read before booking with you. I hope that helps. Some other people might have advice for you. Um, and I would say, uh, if you're connected to tarot communities on Facebook or Instagram or Slack or whatever, uh, Tumblr, wherever you, ha- wherever you may be connected with them, I would say um, ask around and see. Uh, of the folks that I know who do work, I don't think any of them use uh, contracts that I know personally, but that doesn't mean that other people don't. So I would say just continue to do your research. Lizzie asks, my wife has been getting into tarot and witchcraft, and we've been talking about ways trans women or other women, non-binary people who don't have a uterus or a functioning uterus can participate in the magic of having a moon cycle. I heard you saying in an earlier podcast that there are different blood mysteries people can participate in. Do you have any examples and do you have any advice in general about how trans women can cultivate a deep spiritual practice? Okay, Lizzie, I'm so honored that you asked this. I hope that I do this question justice number one, um, if you are interested in finding more out about blood mysteries, I'm just going to be totally honest. And I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to Google it because I feel like what I could have to tell you is really different than what you might find out there. It might all not all resonate with you. And to be honest with you, even as a woman with a functioning uterus, I feel like I'm still connecting with my own, um, like that in myself. So I'm not even I feel like for me to talk to you about all these different ways that you could do that, I feel like I am very deep in that work myself. And so I feel like we will be learning about this together. <laughs> um but um you answered your own question. The thing that you are looking for, the thing and the anchor point that goes beyond the Idea of blood mysteries is the moon itself. That's the thing that connects us to. The, we may experience an inner moon in conjunction with the moon, but the moon, the satellite that we orbit with that is connected to us, changing every day, that's the thing that regulates it anyway. So, hell fucking yeah, trans women can cultivate a deep spiritual pr- practice across the board beyond in all ways and it's part of the enormous um shortcomings of you know like mainstream spirituality that that's not everywhere represented but hell yeah the moon belongs to you the moon belongs to all of us and the moon holds that space for all of us of what it is to live in rhythm with that kind of inner, um, more lunar essence, that more lunar energy. And to be honest with you, like, again, even with us, uh, even as a person who has a uterus that bleeds, um, I've been going through major pelvic stuff and it's brought me into, uh, like, a lot of work with my menstrual cycle because I have not really known a lot about it. And so I feel like I'm learning, too. And the more that I learn, the more that I keep coming back to the moon, like, above me, (laughs) um, to help teach me how to live in a more intimate um, rhythm of cycle. So I would say um, there's, I think and you may not agree and it might not resonate with you, but, um, you asked such an important question that I just wanted to honor it by bringing, bringing words and, um, verbiage to the fact that, um, the magic and the mystery is always there for all of us, whether we are a bleeding person or we're not a bleeding person because we have connections with the moon. And that's why not all of us will feel like we resonate with our own inner cycle. But to be honest, uh, I feel like a lot of what I read in um, people who do bleed every month is that there is a lot of um, desire to have the uh, bleeding cycle sync up with moon cycles anyway. So uh, that's not everyone, but there is a lot of that too. So it's already there. The moon is holding that space. And I think, um, that's really the initiatory, um, connection for all of us to just start thinking a little differently, like, wow, this sense of deep mystery of nighttime of, um, the changeability of life. You know, the sun does rise every day and it's the same and it's lovely and it does vary slightly, but the moon is different every night. And so there's so much I think in there for you and your um, and your wife, Lizzie, about uh, reclaiming the medicine of the moon, of the ocean, of nature, and seeing that reflected in the absolutely beautiful aspects of all bodies, and not just the ones who bleed, because that's really a lot of what we hear about. So, um, yeah for the 97th time, sorry to keep repeating myself, but the moon's it. The moon is the initiator. The moon holds that space anyway. The moon is lording over the blood cycles too. And I think that if there was a desire to go deeper into, um, like again, connections with your own rituals, I would say, create them and, and connect with other folks who are really longing to, um, connect with that sense of cyclical magic and mystery that has nothing to do with, um, bleeding, um, with, or, or, having a functioning bleeding uterus. Um, because I'm all about that too, you know, and I think that that's really important. Uh, and I hope that that helped, but yeah, it's there for you. There's so much there for you. And I would say if anyone, um, I would say too, again, I don't know how I would, how I would get other people's responses to you and your wife, Lizzie, but, um, I would say that there are some wonderful, probably other resources to, I mean, my mind keeps going also to connecting with the work of Sarah Gottesdiener, who does so much moon work and, um, who, uh, speaks a lot about, um, the moon being for everybody. So I would say also check that out, but thank you for the honor of that question. Um, I hope I did it justice. Stephanie asks, how do you prepare yourself when you receive contractive cards? I pulled a 13 card 2019 spread, and it has some contractive cards, hangman, nine of swords, and a goal of mine for the year is to embrace the contraction rather than try to avoid or dull the discomfort. But how can I set myself up to make the most of those moments to be kind to myself in preparation so that I get the most of the, get the most out of those more difficult times. I'm thinking specifically about the Empress episode where you just, You just did, where your guest talked about a moon basket that she uses to gift her future self. How do you use your King of Cups energy to store for metaphorical winter? This question is genius. Um, I think that it's all about calling up your King of Cups self to pull the cards, I think that it's about the energy with which we pull cards. And I also think that especially with your, I think your head spreads, I do them, but I think they can be really contractive and very triggering because it is, it is like, it's really hard to like pull a whole spread and see several cards that are not bad, but Toughies, you know, as you say, contractive, and then you just are anticipating them coming, and then it's very natural for us to think like, oh, it's my birthday month, blah blah blah. You know, it's 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 supernatural. So I would say, the way that you can prepare is, firstly, totally allow yourself to have any response you want to it, to allow that initial like, oh fuck, like feeling, because I think that. And the key with King of Cups, because you mentioned this card, is that the King of Cups really knows how to hold space for himself as well as others. And I think that there's something really powerful there to be able to tantrum or be bummed about the presence of those cards, and then utilize that as the starting point and follow it all the way through to a space of appreciation. Another thing that you can do that is a very powerful practice is if you pull contractive cards or contractive reading, you can do a voice memo for yourself and, um, kind of call upon that king of cups, inner, um, higher self voice, like how you would speak to a trusted friend or how you'd speak to a client. And, um, then how would you explore, uh, or explain those cards to them? You know, because if you got like, for example, hangman and, and, um, nine of swords, hangman can be a circumstance where if we pull it in a month, it might be an opportunity for us to shed and complete some, aspect of the cycle of our life that we've been wanting to shed for fucking years. And it could just simply be that we're being invited to move a bit slower in order for that to happen, to not rush and not to make sure that the timing is exactly right on. And with nine of swords, that card is amazing and is a true confrontation of the shit that our brain tells us to be scared of. And we get to confront it. Nine of swords. We get to be like, uh, no, If you're going to tell me there's a monster in the closet, I'm going to look. And then we do, and we realize there isn't any, and then we're free. So I've pulled nine of swords and the like for myself in times that have been incredibly empowering. So that's the other thing too. You have to be able, I think, to let yourself feel those Um, experiences of disappointment. And then you can come back and kind of like mine and sift for the treasures. And then what's cool is that if you have contractive cards, then when they hit the month that you're in, then you can begin to kind of um, be like a little field researcher. And you can say to yourself or whatever, you know, you can be like, Oh wow, you know I'm I'm um in this energy this month and I get to learn about what this card is. Maybe this card isn't contractive for me at all. Maybe it's amazing. Maybe it feels really good. That's another thing too is that we can um we actually can learn that sometimes there are cards that we think really stink, and then we get into them and we're like, oh, wow, this feels great for me. Or it's a lot lighter than other than other people might experience it, or for me, it's heavier. So I think um, you asked such a gorgeous question, and I think calling upon King of Swords before you pull for a spread like that can also help us to soften, accept, and see the wisdom in any pull. So I think that's how it can help, and hopefully that assists you. Mika asks, any thoughts on when it makes sense to ask someone else for a reading versus doing them for yourself? I was introduced to tarot when a friend did a reading for me at a rough time in my life when I was struggling with a major life transition. After that reading, I dug out my Rider Waite deck that I brought I had bought on a whim over a decade ago, felt immediately intimidated by and then put away in a box that I felt compelled to carry with me across multiple moves despite never touching the thing. I've been doing my own uh, readings for about a year and a half now, and even though I'm building a strong relationship to my practice and with my deck, sometimes I feel called to get a reading from someone else. Part of it is not always trusting my hand. Part of it is feeling disconnected from my own intuition and insecurities about whether I'm doing it right. Sometimes I think I just want to be able to have a conversation with another human being about my reading in my life. I still totally feel like a green thumb, and I think getting a fresh perspective on the cards is nice, especially as someone self-taught. Do you as a practice reader ever seek readings from other people or have general thoughts about this? Mika, I love this question, and I think... um, I think that it's kind of like any other desire for a certain flavor or food. It's kind of like if, if you're really craving pizza, then it, even though it's nice to get ice cream, it's not actually what you want. So I think really like the answer to this is a little simple, like just do whatever you like. And I don't think it's a problem. I think that I think like somewhere in the memo, it was told that if you're like a reader, you should never get readings or, s- or something like that. But y- always, you should always get readings if you, um, need them, want them, etc. I I only see one person for tarot readings. Um, Julia Inglis, who does uh Swan blessings, who is beyond incredible. And occasionally I'll have other people pull for me. Um, But it's because my teacher, my mentor who I have regular sessions with is an intuitive and often I'm not drawn, we don't use tarot in those sessions. So I feel like I'm very intuitively nourished. Um, But I do, I mean, I'm always seeing somebody at least once a week for guidance and support and clarity because not only do I have my own stuff, but I serve a lot of people. And in order to do that. Um, you really have to be kind of working on yourself all the time. So fuck yeah. If I had, um, people that, um, like if I was called to get readings from people more often, I would do it. You can always get readings for yourself. And I don't really have thoughts on like, do it, don't do it. I think absolutely get whatever you want, because sometimes it just doesn't, we don't want to read for ourselves. We do exactly as you just put it. We want the we want the um, communication and the connection with another human being. We want to hear how they interpret the card for us. Um, we want we want that. We just want that connection. So I think that's beautiful. So I would say like anytime you feel like you just simply need more clarity than you feel like you're able to provide for yourself, reach out to other people. I th- I am always seeing other people. And I think that it's really important to do so. It's that I don't always see tarot readers, but I mention that because like um I don't always need guidance in that area, but I do in other areas. But that doesn't mean anything because most tarot readers just have a couple folks that they feel really intimate with, but that they trust and they do absolutely seek counsel. We all do. So just do it whenever you like really just, um, like if you want pizza, just give yourself pizza. (laughs) And I love that you're connecting with your deck and it, if there's any part of you, I'm not sure if you were saying this. So if you weren't just disregard, but if there was any part of you that was kind of like, is there any point that if you're really seasoned at reading, you should stop getting readings from other people? If that's kind of what you were asking me, um, absolutely not. In fact, the more seasoned you are, the better it is to get clear on your own medicine so that you're clear for your clients too so it's really great both are great just two different flavors um sarah asks my question is about combining tarot with other healing modalities such as energy work I'm a tarot reader and a student of multiple different modalities of energy work. I recently got a creative download to merge the two together, a tarot reading and an energy healing session layered together. I'm having massive self-doubt about how to go about doing this, mainly because I have so much respect for both systems that I don't want to, in some way, shape, or form, disrespect my tarot deck. As I write this, I'm already beginning to feel that it is a ridiculous question and concern. For some reason, though, this worry has prevented me from even playing with this idea in real life. It remains an idea. I'm curious about your thoughts on mixing tar- with other systems. Um, Sarah, I'm so happy that you asked this. Um, my thought is that it's fucking brilliant and that you should do it yesterday. It's so great. I also trust your contraction because I'm hearing your contraction around your big idea. And I want to really celebrate and pull that out and affirm that because. All wonderful fantastic ideas are accompanied with contraction, often emotional, psychological, even physical. Um, as the at the recording of this podcast episode, I have ringing in my ears, my head I, I'm running on a three-day headache and uh, am bliss blessedly feeling a little better than I did yesterday and the day before, but was sick. Um, and all of it was because I was recording trauma in the tarot. And it's super contracted. I'm scared to, um, like, I'm so excited to release that offering. But, oh, my God, every time I do anything, I'm incredibly contracted. I don't think I can do it. I'm not sure if I can. It's a bad idea. People are going to hate it, blah, 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 every time. So you have to kind of get used to if you have a great idea it's going to bring up a lot of discomfort. I've never had an idea that's done really well, that hasn't dragged me through the dirt a little bit. So I would say, I want to bring that up to you because I want you to start. I, I don't have an attachment to this for you, but I would like anyone listening to this to start to pay attention to that rhythm within yourself, because, um, Usually when the good ideas strike, they bring a lot of fear. Um, So I'm loving that. And it's okay that it's remained an idea. You cannot disrespect your tarot deck. It's not possible. They totally understand anything. They're open vessels. They don't feel disrespected. I promise you tarot loves to be paired with all kinds of different things. I know a f- many people myself that weave tarot in with acupuncture, with Reiki, with tattoos. Like, And it's not to say like, oh, other people are doing that because no one will do it like how you do it. But absolutely, oh my God, tarot loves to be woven in with our soul offerings, loves it. It's just that it's so fucking scary when we have an idea and we think, do I have permission to do this? Do I have permission to bring my ideas forward? Should I, in some way, play it a little safer, play it a little smaller? Should I, um, how would I even go about it? You know, all those questions—they're so natural, normal, appropriate. Um, your question tells me that you've hit upon something very important. So I would say breathe through your discomfort, keep bowing to what comes up and um, take the first step. Because if you're, because your question is, you were curious about my thoughts on mixing tarot with other systems. I think tarot loves to be mixed with other symptoms, systems. I think it's us that fears, uh, who am I to take this tool and mix it around and pair it with other things. And who are you not to? tarot belongs to everyone. It is the people's tool. Truly. Um, it's truly like there's no code of ethics. There's no, there's no ruler of it. There's no inventor of it. It's literally, it belongs to everybody. So you get to do anything you like with it. Truly. I hope that helps. Um, Betsy asks in listening to the threshold, I was reminded of a question that came up for me as I went through your tarot for the wild soul course this fall something happened to my computer. There we go. You've talked about some of the importance of honoring, honoring and celebrating rich thresholds of really taking time to pause, celebrate, and engage in some ritual act when we've gotten to a milestone of some kind, not just because we deserve to celebrate what we've achieved, but also because that moment of acknowledgement helps us to really process that a chapter's ended and that something new is ahead. So my question is about realizing I passed a threshold without having that moment of celebration, seeing the ripple effects of that and wanting to do something to address it now. I graduated with my BFA in 2015 after a pretty trying six years. At that time, I was in a pretty dark and lonely place. Very few friends were local, and I had severed contact with my father. My mom came to my graduation, and we had a nice dinner after, but that was it. How can we retroactively honor a threshold, particularly one that was felt so fraught at the time, even thinking about it years later is painful. Um, uh, Betsy also just shared some really lovely words about loving uh, the, the work. And I just want to um, say I I adore you too, Betsy. Thank you for your kind words. Um, I'll keep your words too, just for just me um, in your little last sentence there. Okay. Um fuck yes you can retroactively honor any threshold because time is elastic and moves in a flat circle as true detective would say. Um you can do anything you want. Uh we were you know just speaking a couple questions ago about um you know the moon being the true, like sense of blood mystery, like literally making the tides move. Um, but to offer an example, I attended, uh, a couple of years ago, something called a red tent, which is essentially, um, a multi-hour ceremony, honoring ceremony, um, that gives bleeding people the opportunity to honor getting their first period in a way that they were never able to honor that. Um, Because it is a big deal. If you are a bleeding person, it is a really big deal when you get your first period or moon. And it's very rarely celebrated, honored in any way. And I went because a really dear friend of mine was leading it. And I wept through all seven hours of it, I couldn't believe the grief. I couldn't believe the connections that I was making that, um, I had gotten my first period in the outer banks at the house that my grandmother had over the summer, that it was the same place that I got married in and the same place I went to that started to pull me out of some very dark, like I had celebrated a lot of thresholds at that place and had never actually named it until I got to do that red tent. Um, we got to be seen, celebrated. It was a life-changing experience, honestly. And, uh, that to me, as soon as you asked this question, I remembered that red tent and I can't tell you, like I'm getting emotional, just thinking about it, like how much that meant to me. And, um, there have been times where in very goofy ways, I've done that with my little kid. Like for example, um, like when I was in the midst of some very deep child healing, and this is a very materialistic example, so please don't judge my parenting of my inner kid. (laughs) But I remember like I was in deep child work and it was a suggestion that was truly an amazing one from someone that I was working with at the time, which was to buy myself a toy that I had really wanted and never gotten as a kid because I grew up with no money. And so I did. And I was like 31 and I bought myself a puppy surprise and it was amazing. And I couldn't believe, I I just kind of couldn't believe how much of a healing gesture it was. So I invite you to ask yourself, when you think about that threshold, What did it mean to you? What would you have most wanted for that day? Would you have wanted to cry, to celebrate, to like what would you have hoped to have? And then you don't even need to invite the people into your life. Like, I don't know if you have any contact with your dad or but think about what it is that you would have wanted and then just give yourself that. And it gets to be whatever you want it to be. And I would even also say that it's possible that you could gather together a few of your really close, um, like your close mix who really understand you and do a threshold ceremony ceremony for the part of you in 2015 that fucking worked their ass off to graduate and to gain your Bachelor of Fine Arts. Like that's incredible. So you can absolutely do um, honor any threshold any way you want, especially the ones that are painful they belong to you. And I would say, um, think about how you can honor that graduation threshold for yourself. And how can you honor the part of yourself that is in pain, because you don't know if you can honor that threshold. So it feels like to, to me, two parts of Betsy really need to be honored. The part that graduated and the part that feels like she might've missed the threshold. So I think both need to be honored, lifted, celebrated, loved up. And I invite you to think about what would honor, what would fill up both parts of those aspects of yourself, and then just simply give it to yourself thresholds get to look any way we want. We often think like they have to be like this deep ritual and they can be, but it can also be like buying yourself a puppy surprise. So it really, really just depends. Like what would you have most wanted? Um, even if it's going out to dinner with your dad and like telling him, if you're speaking to him, um, I can't remember. I think you said, I don't know if you're still talking to your pop. You said you had severed a connection with him. Uh, contact with him. I don't know if you're speaking to him, but what would feel good there? How can you call upon what you would have most wanted to celebrate that? I would say, and then just give it to yourself absolutely unapologetically. Anonymous asks, how can you tell the difference between feeling intuition and the feeling of fear? There are times in difficult situations where I can't fully grasp whether I'm only overthinking or if my intuitive voice is actually speaking to me anonymous, this is the million dollar question. So I'll give you a tip. It's really hard uh, to answer that question flatly, but here's some of how you know. If the voice is screaming at you, it's probably your brain. If the voice is telling you, you should do something, you should have done something, you ought to do something. If you don't do something, this will happen. Um, If it's worried, if it's nagging, if it's negative, if it's mean to you, it's all brain. If the voice feels like a still point in a standing world, if it feels like an invitation, if it feels like a real gentle, simple knowing underneath the noise, it's probably intuition. Do sometimes guides um, pop off and snap totally, Uh, but they don't scream in a way that is often over the noise of the brain for most of us, for some of us, they do scream, um, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, I would say definitely, um, keep looking at it. Um, there's so much to be said about that, but, uh, pay attention to what the voice is saying. Um, because chances are What I think you can come to is the feeling of fear usually has a sense of time, pressure, and um, what is the word? Conditional aspects to it. You better do this or else this thing will happen. Or um, you better go to the doctor or else, you you know, whatever. Um, intuition is just like as simple as you have an appointment, so go, or, uh, you're in front of your microphone, so record. It's often very simple and very often if it's intuition, it will be backed up by, um, proof. So example, when I woke up this morning, I had a doctor's appointment that, um, you know, I have a headache, which I mentioned, and I, um, Just like was so committed to going, but truthfully was not feeling it. But I was excited because I had been looking forward to seeing this doctor. Long story short, I got a phone call a couple hours before my appointment that it turned out that doctor didn't see anyone that had the symptoms that I had. It was very confusing, but that had been canceled. And they had called me yesterday and the voicemail never showed up. And then after they called, it popped up in my voicemail. So that is God's way of saying no doctor today. And a lot of the time it's, um, and I never questioned it cause I was like, yeah, no doctor today. That's very clear. <laughs> um, so sometimes we do get those knowings. That's just the soft little, um, you know, feeling in our stomach or feeling in our, in our hearts. Or there's something about us that says no or yes or something. Sometimes we don't hear anything at all. It's really kind of like You got to hang out with that question for a long time, but if it's fear, um, it feels different from intuition. Intuition just knows fear pressures. I hope that helps. It's a very quick answer and uh, there's probably a lot more to it, but start there. Veronica asks, I bought a tarot deck for myself one year ago and have been learning how to read by by giving myself weekly readings. I meditate with the cards that show up in the readings. I also look up their meanings and write down every reading that I do. Although I feel I have some understanding of what each card represents, I'm still struggling with card combinations and how to really read the cards together rather than separately. Any advice to improve in this area? Veronica, I do have advice and it might not resonate with you, but I would say it's time to start practicing on other people because a lot of the way that you really learn the way cards flow together is if you're out of your own head and you're seeing something from another perspective. And I think that is a wonderful way to start to read, even if it's for friends. It's really amazing to be able to put down three cards in front of someone else and have that piece of music within the reading, like totally light up. Um, that's my piece of advice actually. Um, because, um, I uh, and you're you're asking me, so I'm gonna answer from a space just from what I know for myself, but other people might wildly disagree. Um, and I am also speaking from a place of having taught for many years and seeing it really. Uh, change people's practices. Uh, There's only so far a reader can go if they're just reading for themselves. There are things that you just don't learn unless you're sitting with other people. So I would say, and reading and learning on your feet. So I would say, yeah, my advice is to start opening up your practice a little bit. Even if you don't want to be a reader, it doesn't matter. It will still teach you a lot. Corinne asks, my card of the year is the Emperor, which makes sense because my big work right now is boundaries. This card and Queen of Swords started coming up for me a lot lately in 2018. Would you elaborate on the energetic difference between the kind of boundaries set by the Emperor and Queen of Swords? Um, Corinne, this is an excellent question. I don't know that Emperor is all that boundaried for me. I don't know that that is my... I don't know if the card talks to me about boundaries. It could be that you know something about the card that I don't, which is really powerful. Um, the emperor for me is about taking up really strong sacred space and structure. And I think if there is a, an element of boundaries that I know of with the emperor, it's, um, related to, not letting ourselves play small. Queen of swords though is a huge boundary keeper and, uh, is very connected, uh, with boundaries for me, um, insofar as the queen of swords being an embodiment of boundaries. So whether that's verbally, energetically, the the queen of Swords helps us to create lines that people, uh, are not invited to cross. So the queen of Swords kind of asks us to post the property and is really powerful and intense in the keeping of those boundaries. Um, it's kind of like really deep mother, uh, not even mother, but caretaker vibes, just like no fucking way. Um, emperor though is like, I'm here to take up space. I'm here to embody mountain Redwood. I'm here to, I'm here to really expand in really, really big ways. Um, But I think you're, I think you probably are onto something with your own journey of boundaries in your connection with the emperor. So I would say now that you've kind of heard a little bit more about Queen of Swords, go to your own practice and just journal and see, well, how does boundaries come up for me? when i think about the emperor being an energy that is connected to taking up really great space are there really important self-care boundaries here for me are there really important um needs that i have when i teach like do i need to up my self-care or do i need to have a much richer um home life uh in terms of my practices and how i care for myself and you know in order to take up that space or you know an enrichment in some other area because i think Again, like it doesn't really matter that I don't think of the uh, emperor as having boundaries. I think it really matters more that you do, which is wonderful. So I would say just explore what you feel like that means to you based on the meaning of that creation of structure and of um, a container so that we can expand. Um, And if you're connecting emperor to boundaries because of its a connection with the number four. Uh, some of the fours do work in creating proper boundaries, but what I would say is consider the word container. How can we create the container to have ourself really fly and flourish to get what we need so that we can go out in the world and do what we need to do in that way? I guess it is connected, could be connected to boundaries. So maybe that helps. Um, Emma asks, as our final question for the day, my question relates to how I can best work with the winter season in terms of my business. It feels like I should be hibernating, reflecting, resting, and waiting till it's time to bloom again in the warmer months. But reality is any money over the winter? How can I work in winter and still be abundant in my business? Oh, sorry. I hit the mic. Um, Emma, I would say, I mean, I'm working my titties off right now. So I feel like maybe I'm the bad, maybe I'm a bad person to give you advice on this. I, um, I feel like there's a lot of room to explore what it means to work or not work in winter. I really do. I think there's a lot of room to say to ourselves that we can work and be abundant in our businesses in all seasons. And work at a rhythm that honors our particular bodies and where we'd like to be at any given time. Um so basically in English what that means is that your winter might be a super expansive time for you. So it could be that like that's where you have your Capricorn in your house, you know that that might be where Capricorn is in your chart. It might be where Aquarius is in your chart. So I totally hear you that living seasonally, um, is a time when we can really link our businesses up to that. I totally hear that, but I do think that, um, there are more subtle ways of staying abundant while also shifting the rhythm of our work to honor a little bit more self-care that's more seasonally appropriate. So I would say like, still do your thing and be a badass. Just, um, shift the way you care for yourself and relate to the season at any given time. And hopefully that helps you. It's a great question. Beautiful questions this month. Um, thank you so much for writing in to Ask Lindsay. Again, if your question didn't get answered, it probably will eventually. Thank you so much for everyone who wrote in. Um, take really good care of yourselves during this next week or so. Um, next week will be an interview with a really amazing guest on an embodiment card I'm so excited to share. Again, Trauma in the Tarot comes out on Tuesday. Um, probably the link will go up in the morning at some point in Eastern time. There's an unlimited amount of spots. So if it's not open when you wake up, it will be open eventually. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for listening. Be well, and I'll talk to you all next week.